Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, August 3rd, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, let's jump into it. Let's let's get the coronavirus section of this podcast over with in the first two stories here. Uh, first, we'll start with Tenet, which we do know is coming to theaters. It's coming to theaters internationally first and then to U.S. theaters on Labor Day. But, I mean, there's a chance that it might not even come to theaters in the U.S. on Labor Day. Is it, or, or will it? What do we know, Ben? Actually, uh, it's, Brad. Actually it's, it's Brad. Oh, Brad. oh, my God. I'll what take this know? one. Yeah, what, what do we know, Brad? Uh, yeah, so the, the date right now is September 2nd, uh, which is just before Labor Day weekend. That's when Warner Brothers is thinking they'll release the movie. Uh, as has become customary over the past uh, month and a half or so, that could change uh, based on the studio's decision of whether or not they want to release the movie in most of the rest of the country while New York and L.A. still don't have a frame, uh, a window for opening up movie theaters yet. And since those are the two biggest uh, markets in the United States, that's why there's been some hesitance from the studio. But 
uh, IndieWire, they did some some digging around and like looked into uh, the, the number of theaters that would be opening around the rest of the country. Uh, and based on what they were able to figure out as far as opening dates and the number of theaters available and whatnot, if Tenet sticks with its September 2nd opening date, even if they're not allowed to open in Los Angeles and New York, it, it w- the movie would still pretty much be able to uh, screen in roughly 80% of the theaters in the United States and all things considered, that's, you know, not too bad. Um, it's really what tenant would do is essentially have a release that wouldn't be too different from an independent movie. A a lot of indie movies, um, will will essentially do the opposite is they'll open up in select cities, which usually means New York and LA, and then they'll slowly expand to a wide release. And so tenant would basically do the reverse of that, where it would open basically everywhere else. And then New York and LA will get it, Whenever and it seems like maybe Warner Brothers could be willing to make that concession if they're you know going to open it internationally before it hits the United States. Maybe they're willing to just you know see how it goes and put it in the theaters. But yeah. we're also you know we're assuming that you know theaters will be ready to open and people are you know ready to go back to them. It seems like there's still a lot of a hesitancy among audiences, especially with you know how cases are still not doing so high in many states in the the United States. Although it looks like cases are going down in some places. Like I, I saw cases were going down in Florida, but, Wait, but that what? might also be combined with them testing less. So who, who knows? Uh, <laughs> I, I guess my question to you, Brad, is where might Tenant not open up on Labor Day? Like other than New York and L.A., the obvious. I'm, yeah, I mean, I would expect a lot. A lot of the major cities, maybe, you know, um, it, it mostly depends on what theater chains do because they're obviously some of the independently owned theaters have opened back up and they're doing their, their own thing by having repertory screenings and, and stuff like that. But it'll, it'll probably be the major cities that could make or break, you know, whether or not it uh, opens up, you know, uh, period. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the, the big thing here is, you know, we're, we're still being very, I guess, irresponsible when it comes to how we're reopening stuff. Like, to give you an example, uh, the UK just instituted a policy where uh, everyone will be required to wear masks in movie theaters when they reopen. But they also pushed back the delay of some movie theaters a little bit because they had a slight uptick in cases. They had uh, 864 cases, I think it was. <laughs> uh, and that's in the entire United Kingdom. Compare that to a place like Florida, and that has three uh, has a third of the population of the United Kingdom, and they just recently had over ten thousand cases, and they for the third day in a row they had a, a record for deaths in a single day. So things aren't doing so well here in the United <sighs> States, and you know it's it's just all this is very tentative, no pun intended. <laughs> I, I no, there must be a pun intended there, Brad. Maybe. <laughs> okay, let, let's talk about the Emmys. I know you guys talked about this on the podcast last Wednesday, but I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, how is the 2020 Emmys going to happen? Like, are are they going virtual? What do we know, Ben? They are going virtual. So this is uh, something that you know has been long assumed, but uh, the 
you know, voting body and the, the governors of the Emmy board and all that stuff actually released uh, confirmation that this year's Emmy Awards are going to be done remotely. So Jimmy Kimmel is still hosting the show. Uh, they sent out letters to the recent Emmy nominees informing them that, no, they don't have to worry about actually showing up to a physical you know, event in person this year. Instead, um, the, the uh, I guess they're calling it the informal theme of the night is, quote unquote, come as you are, but make an effort. So um, <laughs> I, I guess they don't want people just looking like utter trash on TV. Uh, but yeah, that, that's basically how it's going to go down. And Peter, I think you have a, a question about this yeah i do have a question like you know we're seeing a lot of tv specials and a lot of stuff in this this uh i guess unprecedented time or whatever you want to call it uh and you know these tv specials are filled with like zoom boxes where people are like you know skyping in or zooming in from their home offices is that what the emmys is gonna be like is it gonna be jimmy kimmel in his home office like just hosting so according to the TV Academy and uh, and ABC and and the Hollywood Reporter that actually like wrote this article, they were basically saying that the, the people in charge of the broadcasts, the, the quote here is that they assured different uh, that different technologies would be employed to make sure the telecast has a glossier look than the Zoom specials of early quarantine. So that's the quote. And I don't know what that technology would be, because I know for like um, the Parks and Recreation uh, uh, reunion special that happened. What was that? A couple months ago, probably. Now they. I remember reading about how the um, the producers of that show actually like mailed out cameras and and equipment and recording equipment stuff like that to each of the individual actors, and that still sort of had a little bit of a zoom feel to it. I mean, it, it looked you know, slightly one step up from that. But I think that's probably the best that we're going to get is something that looks a little bit better than the, you know, the video conferences that people probably do with their coworkers all day. Yeah. I, I know lately I've been doing some live streams on Ordinary Adventures and we've been trying to up the quality there. And th- to hook up a good camera, like a mirrorless camera to your computer and to get that all working and streaming properly has taken us like four tries. It's it's not easy. It's uh and, and not only like even if you get it right, even if you get all the settings correctly and it's all working properly. And I'm assuming you know they're going to have all the nominees there, I guess. So, like they're going like I'm assuming Jimmy Kimmel when he's reading the nominees, we're going to get like a view of the people in their homes waiting to see if they won. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is going to be like a pre-recorded event. Like a lot of the other things are, I think that might be one aspect that, that could sort of sort of like still help people um, look for that hook as like a reason to watch this because like for, you know, we're talking a lot about Comic-Con at home and how it felt a little flat because almost all of the stuff, maybe every single panel actually was pre-recorded. So I don't, I don't know if there was anything that happened live, um, but this, I think, is actually scheduled to air on September 20th, 2020. And I think it's supposed to be live because uh, one of the, the quotes to the nominees from this letter that they wrote was, if you want to be in formal wear, we'd love that. But equally, if you're in the UK and it's 3 a.m., maybe you want to be in designer pajamas and record from <laughs> your bed. So it does sound like uh, it's going to be um, a live event instead of a pre-recorded thing. See, that makes things insanely more complicated because right. when, when you're broadcasting an event from like you know the Dolby theater or whatever it, it, it's already complicated to make sure that nothing goes wrong but when you're trying to make sure that you know hundreds of people from around the world are able to live broadcast without any internet connectivity 
issues. Like, I don't know. I just feel like this is like a disaster waiting to happen. But yeah, we'll it could be. But uh, you know, it seems fitting for 2020. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on to Star Wars. Let's move on to some non-coronavirus related news. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently of Solo Star Wars story getting a sequel. And the director of that movie, Ron Howard, has commented. Brad, what do we know? Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, clamoring from fans online and whatnot recently with the hashtag make solo to happen and all sorts of rumors have been swirling. And uh, Ron Howard was asked about them when he made an appearance recently on uh, the show Radio Andy on Sirius XM. Uh, and he definitively said, well, there's no sequel plan now. It's amazing to be part of a Star Wars movie that seems to be kind of an underground hit, which is not what you'd expect, but that's been an odd, strange journey for that movie. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's no sequel in the works right now, despite uh, rumors to the contrary, and that's from the from the director. Yeah, but th- does that mean that we won't get a solo sequel? Like, I, I know there's been a lot of rumors that... The story that was set up in Solo and especially, you know, the ending few minutes could continue on like a Disney like on Disney Plus in some way. Like, what do we know about that? Uh, we don't really know anything solid, but that um, a lot of the rumors have been around continuing those those threads, you know, from the uh, revelation that Darth Maul is involved and running Crimson Dawn and that Han Solo's love interest Kira is uh, caught up in it. Um, there's been talks about that potentially continuing in a Lando Calrissian series on Disney Plus. There's been talks of the the story maybe just becoming part of an entirely uh, new series, whether it involves Lando Calrissian or not. So it's it's very possible that these threads can be picked up and utilized in in some kind of fashion uh, within a different Star Wars uh, series. But for now, uh, it seems like the, any chances of seeing Solo two come together uh, are probably not in the cards. Well, that's unfortunate. There's a lot of fans of that movie, and it, it, it's it's very unfortunate, actually, because if that movie was made for the budget that it was originally intended to, and basically, you know, Disney basically had to remake it a uh, second time with, with the new director, like, it, it would have actually made enough money that, like, a sequel could have, you know, more likely happened. But, you know, that budget ballooned because of those, you know, that almost completely reshooting the movie. Uh, But uh, hopefully we'll get a continuation of this on TV in some way. I know Crimson Dawn appeared in the last season of The Clone Wars in an animated uh, way. So if you haven't seen that, uh, check them out. It's it's just a quick, small, like kind of Easter egg of an appearance. But it's kind of cool for fans of Solo. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about this Beauty and the Beast prequel series that is in the works. It has gotten a title. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, the Beauty and the Beast prequel is going to star Luke Evans as Gaston and Josh Gad as LeFou, the characters that they played in the 2017 live action Beauty and the Beast movie. And now this prequel series has a title and the title is Little Town, which is a very weird title for a Beauty and the Beast sequel. I think for anybody who is like, wait, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, Little Town are the first two words in the song Bonjour that uh, Belle sings as she, you know, strolls into that small town, that small French village. It's a really catchy song. It's a great song. I don't really understand exactly what the connection is between a song that Belle sings and uh, Gaston and LeFou because uh, this this 
series is basically set before the events of Beauty and the Beast. And as we saw in that live action movie, the characters of Gaston and LeFou sort of like roll in from fighting in a war. So I'm not entirely certain if we're going to see that in this show or if that's just going to be part of it. Um, The most charitable interpretation that I can give of this title is that uh, so in the movie, if you guys recall, the director Bill Condon made headlines for talking about how Beauty and the Beast was going to have an exclusively gay moment. And it was it was basically nothing. It was a very, very small, like two seconds of Josh Gad's LeFou, like sort of like dancing with one of Gaston's henchmen. And they're both coded as gay. And that was basically that uh, Disney has come a little bit further in the, inter- in the in the subsequent, what, three years, but not too much further. I- I'm wondering, though, if maybe this show could give Josh Gad, who's also one of the writers on the series, a chance to pr- maybe like flesh out LeFou's character a little bit more and, and potentially ex- explore that character's sexuality a little bit, like the idea of little town meaning like the the village has a small-minded attitude about that type of relationship but this is a show that's on Disney Plus it's in, it's you know supposed to be intended for families yeah. and stuff and like i, I just they, don't know they, they had that love simon show what was it love something love, love something love victor. Uh, love victor yeah yeah and they, they put that on hulu because they thought that was too adult and right. uh because Which it had like, a you know that's its own ridiculous uh uh set of like morals that disney is imposing on its content and like you know who are they to say that <laughs> that one type of relationship is better you know quote unquote better than another or more yeah. family friendly than another but but yeah i think you're exactly right peter there is like precedent for disney plus getting cold feet when it comes to um exploring uh, sexuality like that so I, i'm not really sure and especially for something as like uh a, a franchise property as big as beauty and the beast i don't know if they're gonna like really <laughs> like go go hard on that angle uh, uh, for yeah. that show but i really can't come up with any other reason why little town makes a, a ton of sense here well, because it's it's well i would imagine it's because it's about them living living here and like the place and, and it probably involves the rest of the people as well you know i mean yeah it's it's a quiet village every day like the one before <laughs> I but, guess it's just so weird to be like Luke Evans and Josh Gad in Little Town. Like it's just, I don't know. Why are why are they selling this like an action movie? Because they're actiony characters. Like they're they're comedy action. They're like soldiers. I don't know. I mean, I guess. But but like, what is this show going to be, Brad? Is it just like Gaston womanizing and LeFou like hanging on and getting dunked on in every corner? Like, what what the hell is the point of making a show like this? Yeah, it's just going to be Gaston constantly trying to hook up with women, getting shut down, and Josh Gad's like, <laughs> <laughs> there must be more to this pitch. There, there must, must be there more, more to this to provincial, provincial life, life Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but. I don't know. It also seems weird that a company like Disney, who is too afraid to release films like Rogue One and Solo without having Star Wars in the title. So they had to, like, have that a Star Wars story subtitle to it, that they would release a Beauty and the Beast series as Little Town and not, like, somehow play on Beauty and the Beast. Like, Little Town, a Beauty and the Beast story. Right. I would bet $50 that there's going to be Beauty and the Beast added as a subtitle or in some capacity because I think you're you're exactly right. If if people are scrolling through Disney Plus based on title alone and just see Little Town, there's no way that they're going to know that it's it's you know involved in the Beauty and the Beast continuity. So I think they have to add those words in there somewhere. They can spell it out in his chest hair. <laughs> That's I disturbing. Mean, 
it could be Little Town before Beauty and the Beast. No, but wait, does Beauty still exist? Are we in the same town? You sh- you said that in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. I I don't remember that they arrive in that town. So if this is taking place before, then. They're in another town? I mean, I, I, th- I think the implication from the animated movie, and it's been a little while since I've, since I've seen the live action one, but the implication was that Gaston and LeFou, like lived in that town with Belle for a long time before that. And, and I think the live action, it's the same. Brad, did you get that yeah. sense that they were like from that town originally and then went off to fight in the war and then came back? Yeah, because it seems like there's a history of Gaston okay. hitting on Belle before he comes, like, he's come yeah. back into town. So I'm sure they have a history. So I guess the question is, is Belle in this town? Do we hear the rumors of the beast out in the forest? Yeah, it's 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 that, you know, same problem that so many things run into when you decide to make it a prequel. It's like, how much of this are you really going to, you know, nudge and wink at? And if you're not going to introduce like the magic and the the transformative power that you see in Beauty and the Beast of like, you know, the spells and all of that kind of stuff, then what are we even doing here? So I I don't know. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Pixar's next animated movie we we didn't know anything about what was coming off uh, coming up after what soul uh brad what do we know about it yeah we probably would have heard about this earlier i would imagine since pixar usually likes to announce their next um you know movies when the more the immediate one is coming to theaters but since soul has been delayed until november now uh we haven't heard much about anything that is in the works at pixar but they announced that their next movie is called luca uh, it'll be out in theaters, fingers crossed, next summer uh, in June, and it takes place in the Italian Riviera, and it follows uh, a young boy, the title, uh, title character, who sparks a friendship um, with another kid, but this uh, kid has a secret, and it's that he is actually uh, a sea creature. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's sort of this... Uh, fantasy uh friendship where um is this friend apparently has the ability to turn into uh a, a human but he's actually a sea monster from another world hmm well i mean the title and the setting of this adventure it's a, it's a coming of age adventure and it's said in this uh, in italy like it, the setup seems like almost like a Sundance movie that we've heard of before. It, it, I mean, it actually sounds very similar to Call Me By Your Name, although I'm sure since this is a Pixar movie, there will be no peach eroticism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, y- you know, back in the day when Pixar – before Pixar went all franchise, they had a, a few movies in a row, which I think some people in Disney and Pixar would – uh, lovingly referred to as the art house trio, and that was Wally, Up, and Ratatouille, and it was like these three films that were a, a lot more deep, like a, a lot more art house than your typical like big Disney animated film. Like, could we be be returning to that era because we have Soul coming up, which we haven't seen much of, but like it definitely seems kind of more, you know, in that vein than what we've been getting from from pixar in 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 the past like a couple movies but uh like could this be a return to the art house pixar i think so and if anything i think actually soul and luca both feel like they are leaning even more into like that indie art house feel than any of the the previous movies 
uh, did before. Um, and this this one will be directed by uh, Enrico Casarosa, who is at the helm of their short La Luna. Um, so it'll it'll definitely have, I think, a, a more mature uh, vibe to it. Yeah, I love La Luna, and that, that's one of my favorite Pixar shorts. I actually have a statue of the the main character from that film. The, the does um he he had a quote about that saying how it was going to be like a more personal film or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty basic, but he says, uh, this is a deeply personal story for me, not only because it's set on the Italian Riviera where I grew up, but because at the core of this film is a celebration of friendship. Childhood friendships often set the course of who we want to become, and it is those bonds that are at the heart of our story in Luca. So in addition to the beauty and charm of the Italian seaside, our film will feature an unforgettable summer adventure that will fundamentally change Luca. This all this is all really exciting to me. So uh, I'm looking forward to Luca. Uh, but let's move on to some other franchise uh, news. And that is Scream, the new uh, reboot sequel. I don't know what they're calling it. Is it Scream 5? We don't know. Uh, it has it, we, We've learned some casting. Ben, what do we know? Yes. So Courtney Cox is coming back to reprise her role as the reporter Gail Weathers in the new Scream movie, which... Um, according to a press release that, that revealed Courtney Cox's casting, the movie is just going by the title Scream. So it sounds like they're sort of taking a page out of the Halloween playbook, um, to, to use a recent example, where Halloween 2018 was just called Halloween, even though the original movie is also called Halloween. So uh, I hate it when movies do this, but it seems like that's the path that they're taking, at least for now. Hopefully they'll add some sort of subtitle or, or change things up a little bit. But um, yeah, it seems like that's that's where they're going. So uh, the filmmaking group Radio Silence is directing this movie. They're the people who directed uh, Ready or Not last year, which most of us really enjoyed that film. They also directed uh, some anthology uh, or segments of anthology movies like VHS and, and Southbound. Um, Courtney Cox is, is reprising this role. She's also going to be joining her, her uh, former real life husband, David Arquette, who is also coming back to reprise his role as Dewey Riley in this new Scream movie. Um, no word yet on Nev Campbell, uh, whether or not she'll be coming back to reprise her role as Sydney Prescott, the final girl from all four previous Scream movies, but we know that she has been negotiating her return. So I think um, this press release said something along the lines of like, more casting news is imminent or something like that. So I, I think they're probably just like hammering out the, the final uh, terms of her deal, and um, we'll probably be hearing that Nev Campbell is going to be coming back. So, um, if that is indeed true, then uh, I think that's really good news because I I know uh, Chris in particular is a, is a fan of Scream Four. I didn't really care for that one. They tried to introduce um, this younger group of actors and and almost do like a passing the torch kind of thing where they spent a lot of the film's runtime on these younger characters that we didn't really care about, but I, I really have only ever cared about the original trio that have been yeah. in all these movies. So I'm glad that they're uh, theoretically on the, uh, you know, uh, very close to, to bringing all uh, three of them back. So um, yeah. So like, what, what do you think they'll play off the real life divorce of David Arquette and Courtney Cox? Because I, I, I don't want to get too like, you know, uh, celebrity gossip, uh, any of that kind of stuff but that's been kind of like big news there's you know they were a couple in this movie they became a couple in real life and they have since split but like in in this movie series they are married so like do you think they're going to be married or like do you think 
this film might take a cue from that. Yeah, I was actually talking to Jacob about this beforehand, like trying to figure out the timeline on that because um, David Arquette and Courtney Cox actually divorced in 2013 and Scream 4 came out in 2011. Um, But Jacob was saying that they separated publicly in 2010. So technically in the last movie, the most recent movie, they were already like separated essentially they were already on, like on their way toward divorce and that was like a huge gossip story at the time um but I, you know so if they were able to make that that movie uh together and and without any problems or anything i, I like to think that they're both uh <laughs> they're both pros and they can handle it so yeah um yeah no i i'm also wondering like i, I feel like if you're gonna reboot this series you're gonna call it scream at least one of these people is going to have to die, right? I mean, I think they're calling it a relaunch. So, but yeah, if they change the naming that the the naming convention and and the title system and and that kind of thing, then maybe they are going to introduce a, a, another round of younger people in this <laughs> one. And then if that's the case, if they really are going to do like a full on passing the torch thing, then maybe all three of them die in this one. Um, I, I don't know. I, I hope they don't just kill off one of them because like I said, the, the, I think the big draw of this franchise has been watching these same people, uh, you know, uh, uh, survive their way through all of these insane things in a franchise that's lasted since what the mid nineties. So, um, for just one of them to, for one part of the trio to be killed off seems wrong to me. So I, I would like to them to either kill everyone or <laughs> none of them. Well, maybe that's I think Chris might have speculated this in the past, but maybe that's the opening sequence of this movie is all three of them are getting together for, you know, a dinner party at their house, like a birthday party, and then they get killed. Like, so it's it's the Drew Barrymore thing all over again. But without that, that'd be kind of disappointing, I think. Yeah, I think Chris said that he would hate that idea, even though yeah. he he sort of spitballed it. But yeah. I don't know. I, I think there might be a way that they could get away with doing that. Uh, like I said, as, as long as all three of them go down swinging um, together, then I think I would be more OK with them splitting up the trio. What do you think of Jamie Kennedy? In the first Scream movie, he was like the film geek. He was the one that outlined the rules. And he was such like a beloved character. But spoiler alert, he dies pretty early in this franchise. And they they kind of had to come up with like some kind of ridiculous ways of bringing him back in. For the for the sequels, do you think they'll they'll find a way to bring Jamie Kennedy back for this? Like, I, I mean, he's not of age, so like, it's not like he can play his younger self, right? Um, I mean, he could play his like brother, or I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you know, in the year twenty twenty, we're probably all better off without Jamie Kennedy as a major part of our lives. I think that era uh, has passed. But yeah. um, God, I just remember you just talking about that. It reminded me of that. He did this whole thing where he like hosted a New Year's event that was like a famous disaster a couple years ago. Do you remember that? No. Was what like, was that? God, I don't remember. Brad, do you recall exactly what the, the details were around that? Do you remember hearing about that? It was like a live streamed, like a local, um, I think it was in LA. He was hosting like a, you know, like a rival broadcast against, you know, Dick Clark's Rock and Eve or whatever the main one is <laughs> on ABC that everybody watches all the time. And like, it was he everybody was drunk and like it was just a, this a huge disaster i remember there being several stories written about it afterwards and that's the last time i've heard of jamie kennedy until you brought him up in this podcast episode Peter. no I, I haven't heard anything about that but it sounds ridiculous one one thing i want 
mention um, Brian Lynch, who is um, the writer of uh, Secret Life of Pets and um, Despicable Me and Minions, had actually an interesting idea for what Scream 5 should be. Um, he, he talked about it a while back when they first announced that Scream was thinking. Um, he said that it, it would be cool if, if the movie was a made it even more meta by somebody having somebody in the real world going after the actors who starred in scream. That way they could bring everybody back. Hmm. Huh. That could be interesting. Uh, by the real way, quick, I, real quick, Peter. Uh, yeah. first night 2013 with Jamie Kennedy is what it was called. It, it aired on December 31st, 2012 from Grauman's Chinese theater and uh, it was called the worst New Year's Eve special ever by several media outlets. Uh, there were uh, technical problems, including microphone gaffes and communication issues, uh, scenes that were described as surreal. And uh, the New Year was counted in too late and spontaneously ended with an impromptu fight breaking out on stage over the credits. Amazing. Did, didn't J- Jamie Kennedy also have like a documentary that he made where he like went out and approached like critics of him and oh that sounds familiar as well yeah man we're just like bringing we're going down in 2007 but uh, i don't i I remember watching it was pretty bad anyways okay we, we, we have one last story to talk about today and that is the office coming to peacock but it's going to be coming in an extended form brad what do we know Yes. So uh, The Office will be leaving Netflix at the beginning of 2021. So if you love watching The Office on Netflix, you better get it in over the next five months because it'll be disappearing and heading to Peacock, which is NBC Universal's new streaming service. Um, And they're hoping that The Office will entice people to go subscribe uh, over to Peacock and to make sure that it is more enticing than just giving them a place to watch the show all over again. Uh, the episodes will be ha- um, incorporating elements that weren't ever broadcast on TV. Um, so some of the episodes will basically be extended when they are put onto Peacock. What this probably means um, is that they will be the producer's cuts of certain episodes. Because back when The Office aired, they were doing this thing where after an episode aired on TV there was an extended version of the episode that was available on NBC.com for a period of time. Um, and so I imagine that's probably where the, the, this extra footage is coming from. Hmm. What, what do you think? Like how many more minutes do you think they have in like a producer's copy of an episode? I, I would imagine it's probably enough to fill out like a full half hour. That was usually what it was because um, they usually ended up having to cut stuff out just for time and so it was stuff that was they thought was funny enough to be in the episode, but not necessarily integral enough to need to air on TV if if audiences, you know, didn't see it so that there wouldn't be, you know, confused if there was something later, you know, that happened that maybe referenced something in, you know, a, a longer version um, of, of a certain episode. Hmm. Do you think we could see other shows doing this as they go to other streaming services? Like that, that seems like a good way to get people to rewatch an older like sitcom. Yeah, I think it probably depends on, I guess, just the process of making that show. You know, when you, with a show like The Office, they shot so much extra footage, you know, because they were they were they shot it, you know, similar as they did a documentary. So they have extra stuff to fill out the time. But, a, you know, a lot of other shows um, don't necessarily 
go beyond you know what they need you know for for an episode as far as what's in the script or anything like that because as scripted as the office was there was definitely still times where they improvised and things happened that you know ended up on on camera so it's probably less likely for other shows um but and, and even with the office it's not necessarily something that i'm like super excited about because um you know, the footage was cut for a reason. And so while I'm sure that there's some funny gags or maybe ex- extra short, you know, side stories for supplementing, supplementing characters on the show, it's not really anything I think that's going to make us look at the office in, you know, an entirely new light or anything like that. Okay. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash Film You can find links to the stories we mentioned on today's podcast link in the show notes. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will see you on Wednesday.